had a couple other uh, cool things to tell you about, uh, just to give thanks to God and to give thanks to you for your generosity. Each month we uh, have uh, you guys bring back food bags filled with food for the Mount Juliet Hope Center. We have a, a dream to see everyone fed in Wilson County. I wanted you to know that I got a text yesterday that the food y'all brought in just last week in bags was over 4,000 pounds of food, which is amazing, amazing. Um, thank you. We, um, it, it was not long ago that we were praying and hoping we had this goal of getting to 2,000 pounds in a month, and now it's, it's reached that and even doubled, so thank you. Also uh, wanted to, to let you know and thank you uh, that this week we were able to make uh, a payment on our mortgage payment in addition to the one we make uh, each month, and we were able to do that, uh, an additional $325,000 on our mortgage payment this month, so that's a real blessing. I want to thank you. Um, that uh, is uh, 475000 additional that we've done uh, just in, in the last little bit. And so I uh, just wanted to thank you. That, um, that is just coming in in these baskets that sit up here and what you guys do online. And it is allowing, uh, freeing up the church to do the things that we love to do and to see happen. And yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, our scripture is from Isaiah 61. And this is a really old text. Like, you go back to Isaiah, it's 2,000 and something years old, getting close to 3,000 years. And so I just kind of lift that up to think about as we hear it, that at the end of it, I'm going to say to you, this is the word of God for the people of God, and invite you to say with me, thanks be to God, that we think that and believe God can actually speak to us through the prophet Isaiah, through an inspired uh, uh, text. So uh, here it is, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So another thing that happened this week is my oldest daughter, Mary, turned 16. I'm just going to lay down for a moment (laughs) and uh, (laughs) take some deep breaths. It's true. And uh, we thank you, Rachel and I would thank you that this is um, her church. She was three years old when we started the church, and we just thank you for raising her to be the amazing person that she is. Uh, but in the midst of that, in this time period, Rachel converted our old videotapes where we were videoing Mary when she was little. They were actual, if young people would pay attention, they were actual tape, videotapes. They were on this, I don't exactly know how it works, but there was a spool of tape. Uh, it's hard to explain. But... We had these tapes converted to a digital file, and they were ready at the time for Mary's birthday, and so we were watching these videos of her when she was little, and I had forgotten that when Mary was a little girl in our house that she often wore a crown. And I have a picture of one of these grainy videos of, you can see uh, Mary with her crown on, like around our house, she would wear a dress of royalty, and we watched video after video where she'd have one of these dresses on or a crown and she would be dancing in our home or catching her eye in the mirror or ordering us around, you know, the things that royalty do. 
And in this particular video, I was behind the camera, and she was telling me about the prince that would meet her at the ball that night. And, you know, my heart broke a little bit because I thought I was her, her prince. <laughs> and if it sounds like I am uh, lifting up Mary Elizabeth Armstrong as if she's as revered as any princess of any kingdom of any king, that's because to me she is. And Rachel and I had this hope, I don't, we didn't really say it out loud, but I realize now, looking back 16 years, that we would place a crown upon her head every day. Place a crown upon her. You parents following me? Yeah. That we would say, you're, you're a part of a chosen family. You're, you're, you're a special possession. Um, and parents have the opportunity to place a crown on the head day after day. You know, we just did it after day after day. On Wednesday night, a bunch of you gathered in this room and we put ashes on your head. We said that we all have sin in our lives. Uh, we acknowledge that we were sort of made of ashes and we'll return to ashes. We talked about that we'll die someday. We looked each other in the eye when the ashes were put on our heads and said, repent. We acknowledged our grief and our mourning together. We, we sort of said collectively, our life is a big old mess outside of God. And so it sounds at first like ashes on our heads is a bit different than a crown placed upon your brow, but I would say to you, it just sounds that way at first. So what we did on Wednesday, some of you are looking like, what'd y'all do on Wednesday? It was called Ash Wednesday. Uh, the church has done it historically for a long, long time, and it's just a day where we begin a season that leads us into Easter. So Ash Wednesday is the first day of a season called Lent that begins a 40-day season leading up to Easter. It's a time where we recognize that we really need God and we repent uh, of our sin and we, and we realize that from dust we came and, you know, from dust we will return. But what we're looking forward to on Easter, if you come on Easter, and I hope you will, is we're saying Jesus was dead, the operative word being was, and he is alive. So we talk about an empty grave. A grave is what holds dead, death in, but we say this grave is empty and so that Jesus is alive is the thing that makes all that stuff I just said right. Our sin, our, our grief, our mourning, our brokenness. What Jesus comes on Easter and we realize is we get a crown. It's a crown of life and a crown of beauty. But first, ashes on your head. Okay? First today, ashes on your head. And in reading from Isaiah 61, some old ancient text tucked in the, in, in the back of our, our Bible, we hear this prophecy. A prophecy is looking forward to something, and in this case, looking forward to someone, as often the biblical prophecies do. They're looking forward to a coming Messiah, uh, one who will come and make things right, one who will even things out and you know, kind of get us back to where we need to be and, and give us life. And so Isaiah 61 is talking about that. It's describing not only the Messiah, but what the Messiah will do. It's really important. It starts, uh, as I read, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So this is like the Messiah is talking, saying, The Spirit is on me, and God has given me an anointing. The word Messiah, which I've said a few times, actually just means the anointed one. So they were waiting for this one who would be anointed by God. Uh, the word Christ is the same meaning uh, when we talk about Jesus the Christ. Jesus was the anointed one. So that's what we're talking about. So oftentimes a king would be set aside or a, or a holy person would be set aside with an anointing, like an anointing with oil would be placed on their head. What's, what we have to pay attention to in Isaiah 61 is it says the anointing that will be a, upon the one who's coming to save us, the anointing is not oil out of a, a priest's horn of oil. It will be the spirit of God. So just kind of hold that in your mind, that it will be the spirit of God that will be on the head of 
the Messiah. And then it tells us what that Messiah will do. Bring good news to the poor. He will bind up the broken hearts. He will proclaim freedom for prisoners. He will release people from darkness and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This last one, the year of the Lord's favor, was when God was going to come and make things right. In Jewish tradition, they actually had a year called the year of Jubilee, when everything would be made right again. It was the 50th year, so every 49 years, they'd almost be there, the 50th year, year of Jubilee, all the debts are forgiven, all the people are paid back, and all the land is given. But when we read Isaiah 61, what we see is it's not really a year of Jubilee. It sounds like more than that. It's like a Jubilee of Jubilees, if that's even a thing. It's like you're talking about more than just economic equality, more than just land being given back. And here's how we know that. It says the mourners will be comforted. That, that's not something a bank can do. The grieving will be provided for. Those in despair will be given a garment of praise. And the people will be called oaks of righteousness. So we have to use our imagination some for these images that we're given. Like, what does it look like to be given a garment of praise when you're mourning? What does it feel like to be an oak of righteousness when the, 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 the world around you is falling apart and you can stand strong? And then hidden in the midst of that, Isaiah 61, verse 3, I skipped over it because it's what we're going to look at for the next little bit, is it says the Messiah will come to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. All right, I know this is a lot, but the payoff is so good, I wanted you to kind of hear it all, okay? What it's saying is there's one coming who will have the spirit on his head, and he'll come to those who have the ashes on their head, and he'll put a crown on top of the ashes, The Messiah is going to have the spirit as his anointing where he'll be able to anoint our ash-covered heads with a brand new crown. So why did they have ashes on their heads? It was another part of their Jewish tradition. They literally put ashes on their heads when they were mourning, when they were grieving, when they were broken, when they felt far away from God, when they knew that they had messed up as the people of God and were were in a a far-off place. And so they would literally put ashes on their head. I don't know if you ever wish you could have that kind of visible sign. Do you? Like, I wish people would just know that I'm not doing okay. Like, you ever wish you could go to Kroger and just have ashes on your head? And you're just like, I don't want to make small talk, you know? Like, you see the lady with ashes on her head. She's like, she's having a bad day. She's, she's in a bad spot, you know? She's broken. Like, do you ever wish that you could, you could tell your, you know, your church family could just kind of know when you walk in? You're like, yep, I'm still grieving. It's been four years. But I am still as, I'm still broken. I'm still carrying it. See the ashes? I've got it on my head. See, see my grief, see my brokenness. And so they literally put ashes on their heads, you know, just like we did, just like we did uh, the other night. Here's what I want to say. I feel like some of us may have had ashes on our heads so long that we've just made it a part of our daily wardrobe and forgotten that God is wanting to give us a crown. So maybe that means we have misunderstood royalty a little bit. I was reading about, just a few weeks ago, about uh, Prince Harry. You guys see this? Oh, nobody else. Nobody else cares about Prince Harry. Okay, I'm the only one that, that, that clicks on that. I love the royal family. But um, Prince Harry and Meghan. Oh, do you all not know Meghan, I guess? Okay. You don't know Meghan either. Well, let me explain it to you. Prince Harry and Meghan, a few weeks ago, they renounced the crown. They said, we're no longer, uh, we want to distance ourselves from our royalty. And they did some concrete things to do that. They, um, 
they paid back $3 million that had been given to them for the restoration of their home from the state. They paid it back. They said, we're no longer going to live in a permanent residence only in England. They actually said, we no longer want the title. We won't receive the title, His Royal Highness or Her, uh, Her Royal Highness. And, and, and they, they just sort of distanced themselves. Well, I did a little bit more reading on it. And what I discovered is that actually nothing that Prince Harry has done has actually taken him out of the royal lineage. That currently today, Prince Harry sits sixth in line to the throne of England. Maybe royalty isn't that easy to throw away. Maybe you can move far off and you can say, call me something different, but if your father has placed a crown upon your head when you were little, maybe it's not that easy to take off. And this is where I don't know how far to take this metaphor. <laughs> you know, it's like, I actually don't know that much about the British royalty. I haven't even watched The Crown. So I'm just going to stop there. But what I have done is spent a lot of time trying to understanding how we connect to the Messiah, how we connect to the King, what kind of binding agreements could be given if the, if the Lord of Lords places a crown upon our head. And here's the deal. He comes to bestow on you a crown when all you see is ashes. He comes to give you a crown of beauty for your ashes. The scripture there uses, when it says for your ashes, it actually um, sort of intimates an exchange uh, instead of, like that he's going to take our ashes and leave a crown <laughs> upon our heads, a crown instead of the ashes. Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who spent so much time, intimate time with Jesus. He said this sort of on the other side of this prophecy, on the other side of Jesus coming and being the Christ. He said, you are a chosen people. He would have been talking to you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're God's special possession. We're God's special people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We don't talk about this much, but you're a special people you're, you're a royal people to God. He's given you a crown. And it's so that you may declare his praises because he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. On Easter, what we will do, and I hope you'll be here, is we will do that so that we will declare his praises because he's pulled us out of darkness and brought us into wonderful light. What I want to talk through next are some things that I think the crown could mean for us today. This isn't like the scripture says the crown is this. What I'm doing is walking through Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and thinking about what this crown could mean in connection to what God said the Messiah would come and bring into our lives. So that's how it makes sense to me. So the crown for us is the spirit on you. What I mean by that is sometimes we think, yeah, the Messiah has the spirit and the, and the Messiah does, and it is in a different way than you or I would have. That's a special kind of spirit that's been given. But clearly, Jesus, when he steps into that role, says, I'm giving you the Spirit. He's going to breathe into our nostrils. Uh, he says, I'll leave with you the Holy Spirit. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. The early disciples said, we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit has now come on our heads. The Holy Spirit is washing over us like uh, baptism waters. Paul says that those of us who believe the Holy Spirit has sealed our hearts. So I think the crown for us is the Spirit on us. The crown is also an anointing. Again, not in the same way the Messiah has been anointed by God, but clearly Jesus passes on to us an anointing. That's what, that's what we're trying to do as parents, right? To anoint our children. Um, to, I put the, the sign of the cross on Landon's head, right? That we're saying this is who you are every day, every day, every day. God's anointing us with a crown of beauty. The crown is good news to the poor. 
Surely that is the economic poor that we talk about a lot here. But Jesus says it's also for those of us who are poor in our hearts. It's also for those of us who feel impoverished in our spirits. And so you may be here today and you're like, I feel poor in my heart. And Jesus said, I have a crown that's good news for you. The crown is for the binding up of the brokenhearted. We have to understand that uh, what the Messiah is coming to do, he's coming to do for the wounded. It's not for those who have it perfect. Uh, it's not for those who are already on the inside. It's for those who are hurting, those who are wounded, those who are bleeding. What Jesus wants to put on your head is a binding up of the brokenhearted. And the crown is also freedom. I've tried to think about what it might have felt like to be a part of an old kingdom and be royal and to have a crown on your head. Imagine walking through the community. There would be great freedom in that. You'd know who you are. You'd know what, uh, what was uh, available to you, what you could and could not do. So I think the crown of beauty for us can be freedom, freedom from your addiction, freedom from your past abuse, freedom from your cancer. You're like, I still have those things, right? The crown goes on over the ashes. He's giving you a crown for those things. So maybe whether you want it or not today, it's like you're royalty and you get a crown. You're royalty and you get a crown. Several years ago, Haley Sissom, who's a member of our church, went to uh, the northern part of Nicaragua with one of our mission teams, and she met a young girl named Maydeline. I have a picture of them. Uh, our team actually just returned, and this is on Monday. And when Haley went there, Maydeline was an elementary school girl, but they've kept up this incredible relationship. I mean, Haley was there just a few months ago. They're friends. Uh, they visit with each other. Uh, they, they message each other. And so Maydeline is a Guasimos. You've heard me talk about this community called Los Guasimos. Well, she belongs to that family. That's the name of the family. And so Madeline, when we met her, was destined uh, to live as a, a woman in the Guasimos family, just like her mother before her, her grandmother, her great-grandmother Guasimos. What they would do is carry water. They would carry water to take care, to bring life to the village. There's a stream that runs over the road as you go up a steep embankment to where Los Guasimos is. And in that stream, when you drive through it, you'll see women standing in the water almost every time washing their clothes, filling up big buckets, and that was what Maydeline was, was destined to do. Over the years, she's built a relationship with Haley. It's really cool. You know, Haley hasn't given her expensive gifts or uh, any money that I know of, but, but they, they've come to be connected as friends. And so Haley was there this week in a place where dust literally, literally resides on everything and where economic poverty is in the way of life. And Haley has said to Maydeline, you are a value. She has anointed her with God's love and with God's promises. When Haley arrived in Guasimos on Monday, though, Madeline had made a gift for her. Now, you have to understand, most families in this village make about $100 a month. So we don't know how much this T-shirt cost uh, Madeline to make. Uh, I've got a picture of it, yeah. And when I saw that, um, I thought, that is beautiful. <laughs> That's beauty. And something else that's really beautiful is that because of your generosity, uh, Madeline is no longer destined to carry buckets of water up that hill. Nobody is. Madeline has water that comes right to her house because of money that you place in those baskets that we pass around. Because you guys believe the Messiah brings good news to the poor. She dresses in a new school uniform. She walks two miles to a school in the neighboring community. She comes home. She's growing into, into believing she's someone who matters. One person, Haley, one church in a faraway place has poured their time and their money, their vacations. You know, Haley is a, a young woman in Mount Juliet who travels to wipe ashes off a girl and give a crown. 
Jesus announces his ministry in a really important way for you to understand. It's really unique. Nobody else could do it, only the Messiah. And it says that in Luke chapter 4, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was coming from, get this, 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days of testing, 40 days of trial, 40 days of looking the devil in the eye. And he came out of that with the Holy Spirit on his head. He returned to Galilee from 40 days in the, in the wilderness, 40 days of hunger, 40 days of the devil, and he returned and the Spirit was on his head. This is a foreshadowing of those reading the story like, oh, wait a second, I remember who had the Spirit on him. And it says, news about him spread through the whole countryside. He went to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So he was just like you in that way. He came to a place that was a house of worship, a place of teaching on, on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. It was the prescribed reading for the day. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So what I'm about to read to you is what Jesus said to announce that he was the Messiah. It's what Jesus said that would lead him into being the one that would change the world, that would lead to Easter. What Jesus said in this moment is what led him to being killed. In this moment, after he read it, the people of his own hometown tried to drive him off a cliff. So it's really important. So here's what, here's what Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth after he came out of 40 days. This is what he said. He stood up to read. I'm going to read it to you. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus read Isaiah 61. And then he sat down. And he said, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they tried to kill him. Jesus could have chosen any of these different prophecies. So it's really important, I think, that we take you know, a moment to think that Jesus said what he was coming to do was for the ones who were poor. What I'm saying, guys, is if what we're talking about is not good news to the poor, it's not good news. What he said is, I'm coming for people whose hearts are cracked open. And so if what we talk about here doesn't mean anything for the people whose hearts are broken, I don't know. He says, I'm going to set people free. Some of you are bound up today. He says, I'm going to release the captives and give sight to the blind. Jesus says, I'm coming for those who have ashes on their heads, and I'm coming to give them a crown. So the anointing that it's on Jesus first, but then it's on us. The Spirit is on Jesus first, but then it's on us. And then Jesus receives a crown, a crown of thorns. And, and because of what happens at the cross, he is able to exchange our ashes for beauty. That's what Jesus came to do. And so today, as we enter our journey towards Easter, we're just going to start there. For you, I want you to ask yourself if you need to say today, I need Jesus to be my Messiah. <laughs> I need the anointed one to put an anointing on me. I need the Spirit to come on my life. Some of you here today, I just want you to think about, do you, are you ready to say, uh, like Hunter and Cameron, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? Maybe for the hundred and one time, you know, or maybe for you it's like, yeah, today is the day. What I'm realizing as I, you know, have a 16-year-old daughter and crazy stuff like that is life's really short. And and I don't want to take for granted. You're going to hear me talking more and more about like, I want you to know that Jesus is the Lord of your life and I want you to know what that means for your life. 
But another thing you might ask yourself is, do I want the Holy Spirit to come on me like a baptism, to come upon my head? You know, we pray in here a lot of times before uh, the worship service, we'll say, come Holy Spirit. Now, we know the Holy Spirit's already in here, but there's something about saying it. It feels so good just to invite the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want to say today in your own heart, come Holy Spirit. I know, I believe that you're in my heart, but come Holy Spirit. I I need you. I need your power. I need what you've come to give. So, uh, Some of you remember we had a baptism and recommitment service back in the fall. We're going to have another one after Easter, and I just want that to be in your your head, in your heart. It'll be April the 23rd on a Thursday night. I brought this morning my clipboard. I have a special clipboard uh, that I like to have sometimes, and after the end of the service, if you want to come and say, I need Jesus. I want to to be baptized. I want to recommit my life. You know, today already I've had an 8-year-old, a 7-year-old, an 11-year-old, some other ages that I didn't ask, you know, people that have come forward and said, I need Jesus. And so if that's you today, uh, let today be the day. One of my favorite pictures from an Ash Wednesday, uh, it's probably the only picture I know of from an Ash Wednesday, happened back when we met at the middle school. And we had a real small, simple service. And there was a, a, a young woman who was a part of our church still. Her name's Sarah Rose. And she had had her life miraculously changed by God. She didn't even know what Ash Wednesday was. And she showed up and they put a cross on her forehead and said, repent and believe the gospel. And this picture was taken of her. When we walked out, uh, it was snowing. And, and this picture was taken outside the middle school. And I love the picture because it's like the snow is washing the ashes off of her head. And that to me, you can almost like see a crown that's be, being given to this one who says, I believe. Let's pray. God, thank you for inviting us into a season where we can walk with you and learn from you and hear from you. There are some of us here today that need to say, I need Jesus to be my Lord, to be my King. There's some of us who need to be reminded that even though we have ashes on our heads, we also have a crown. So feel it, guys. Feel it on your head. Feel it on your brow. Feel the the Holy Spirit come upon you right now. Feel God's Spirit coming into your life, into your heart. And God, we pray that bread and juice for us um, would be Christ's body and Christ's blood. We remember that he said, on the night before he was killed, he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you and for many, that's us, for the forgiveness of sins. So God, come and pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on the bread and juice so that we can receive Jesus today. Amen.